Morris, thank you very much for joining me today. How are you? Doing good, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks. Um, so I want to ask a quick question just about the background. I know you have a, a background in music, but uh, with in one of your companies is Silver Mountain Guitars, and we'll get into all that. But is most of that behind you made out of hemp wood? Most of it. It's like the cabinets there, what you can see, that's actually Canna Grove, which okay. is a board material that Larry Serbin from Hemp Traders created a few years back. So we made a bunch of cabinets out of that. And then there's a combo amp behind me that's got Hempwood and Canagrove. And most of those guitars and everything, at least seven of them are made out of hemp. Nice. Cool. And then that poster on the wall is a 23 by 35 hemp poster from our Perfect. hemp harvest party in 2015. Nice. Walk in the walk. Hemp everything. Yep. <laughs> so I guess if, right, if you could. Right there, that's a hemp briefcase that I uh, got from Andrea Herman that's sitting there on the floor. Oh, that's something I have not seen before. Is it, what's the material like? Is it like a wood material or kind of more like a No, it's fiber? more of a composite plastic like they use in automobiles over in Europe. The yep. Interior um, paneling. Mm -hmm. So it's like okay. a hemp canaf composite plastic. Awesome. Cool. That's something different. Yeah. I haven't seen anything like that. Nice. <laughs> um, I like your uh, hemp wood frame behind you though. Yep. Yeah. I got the hemp wood frame and then that's a print from uh, Ellie in um, for artisan hemp in Maryland. 100% handmade hemp paper. Yep. So she's been doing great stuff for years. She's one of my favorites. Yeah. I saw that she's um, opening a, a store in the near future as well, kind of like a hemp superstore in Kentucky, I believe. Just saw something oh, on LinkedIn. Great. Yeah. Yep. Good for her. Yeah. Um, I was hoping to see her out at NOCO this year. She was going to try to make it, but couldn't make it happen this time. Yep. Yeah. Things happen. But uh, yeah. before we kind of go too deep, do you mind just giving a brief overview of kind of what Wafba is and kind of the family of brands that, that you founded and run currently? So Wafba is the umbrella that holds kind of the event and media side of things for what we do and then the products and services. So there's like kind of two divisions now. And it's the umbrella. Um, it didn't actually come into existence until 2015. Uh, me and my partner, Elizabeth Knight, founded Colorado Hemp Company in 2012, and then Tree Free Hemp in 2013, then NOCO Hemp Expo in 2014. It's like, I need to find a kind of a holding cell for all these brands that we were starting to create. And I came from the music industry, and in the music industry, I had an umbrella called the Humble Empire that held various production, record label stuff. And so it's like, well, we'll just create another umbrella that can hold all the entities that we create over the course of time. And um, at this point, there's like 10 of them in there, I think, mm -hmm. nine or 10. So, but it's really the event side with the media platform, which is Let's Talk Hemp. And then it's the products and services side that has Tree Free Hemp, Silver Mountain Hemp Guitars, One Planet Hemp, um, Colorado Hemp Company, which is kind of the brain creative development force of everything. Mm -hmm. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I had, uh, had some business cards made from tree free hemp, very good product, nice quality, thick hemp board. Always. Uh, it's funny. Cause like anyone in the hemp industry, if you don't have your business cards made out of hemp, it's like an immediate, like, come on, what are you doing? <laughs> well, there's still a lot of people that don't have those, uh, but we've yeah. done quite a few of them over the years. And there's some other folks out there that are doing hemp paper and business cards and marketing collateral on boxes now. So the more, the merrier. Yeah. A hundred percent. Cool. Yep. So how did, how did you transition from uh, kind of the background in music and in, in, to get into the cannabis hemp industry? Like where, 
did your passion for the plant develop? And then kind of how did that turn into business opportunities? Well, I've been a, I would say a recreational cannabis user since high school. And in, when I started my music company after leaving a large music and video company in 1995, um, I moved back to Colorado and in, in Fort Collins, there was a store called the, the Hemper Wears No Clothes based on the Jack Hare books, The Emperor Wears No Clothes. And I became familiar with hemp at that time, which I didn't really know anything about it. And I read Jack's book and I didn't necessarily become a hempster at that point, but I did find a couple of sources to get hemp t-shirts and hemp hats. And so some of the bands that I worked with, um, I printed up some merchandise. I also printed up some hemp hats with my record company at the time, which was called Happy Scratch, uh, but didn't really go any further than that. And then the music industry itself really started to go sideways 2006, 2007 with digital music really taking a toll on physical music. Um, I was in the CD business, uh, pressing a lot of CDs and DVDs and packaging and physical media and putting it out in the stores and, and Napster and mp3.com and a lot of peer to peer file sharing sites at that time really killed the physical media business. And so I was like trying to figure out what's going to be the next step. And this was around 2009, 2010, Colorado, uh, elevated its medical marijuana program. We started opening up dispensaries. I think the medical program started in Colorado around 2001, 2002. And I didn't really want to get into the marijuana industry. It wasn't you know, something that I, it's like, it's cool. And I support medical marijuana. I support recreational marijuana. Um, but it wasn't something that I really wanted to get in that business of. And then in 2012, Colorado passed Amendment 64. Within that legislation, there was the opportunity for Colorado farmers to start growing industrial hemp. So this was pre-farm bill in 2014. And it's like, well, what's the next step? And so I started looking around and I was like, hey, we'll start Colorado Hemp Company and see what we can make out of this. And I found a hemp shoe company called Wicked Hemp Footwear that I'd reached out to and said, hey, can I rep some of your products? You know, we've got outdoor shops here. We've got places I could maybe get some of your product into. And so I connected with those guys. I connected with Hempies. I connected with Hemp Mania, all of which were doing like tote bags and backpacks and wallets and more of the textile side of the hemp side of things. And that was the beginning of Colorado Hemp Company. And I found a hemp paper company in 2013. And it's like, I've been in the printing business for 20 years. And, you know, if I can find a good hemp paper source, we can print business cards, posters, marketing collateral, and so forth and, and started tree free hemp. And then it's like, well, now we need some hemp events because there's some like cannabis events going on and they might have a few hemp companies here and there that are kind of stock off in the corner, but it's not really being represented. And so we started Colorado Hemp Company in, in 2014, or not Colorado Hemp Company, NoCo Hemp Expo in 2014. And from there, it's just kind of snowballed into, you know, a hemp media platform with Let's Talk Hemp in 2015. And then other hemp events that we started doing, Hemp on the Slope, SLV Hemp Symposium, Hawaii Hemp Conference, then Southern Hemp Expo, which is like our sister show to NoCo that happens in Nashville. And here we are 10 years later in 2022. And uh, the industry is growing and maturing, but we still got a long ways to go. Yeah, that's interesting. I appreciate all the color there. And I, I didn't know that Colorado had something kind of before the 2014 farm bill that kind of opened it up a little earlier. Uh, so that's, that's interesting. And I, that was kind of one of going to be one of my questions is kind of what, um, 
from your past business experience in the music industry made it easier for you to start any of these businesses. So kind of the printing with Tree Free Hemp, you had been in the printing business before or had to do that for the music industry stuff that you were doing. So that kind of made sense to just say, hey, now we can get hemp paper. This makes sense. Was any of that, like, was all that being imported at the time? Or were you able to source some, like, maybe from, from Canada, like hemp fiber to make paper? How did, how did all that work? Um, well, so the hemp paper side of things, we've been using a company called Greenfield Paper that started actually in the 90s. And the majority of their fiber that they use in the paper had been sourced from Canada. And then when things dried up in Canada, they Canada had uh, funded through the government, subsidized a lot of the fiber um, materials back up until, I don't know, 2016. But a lot of that subsidy funding went away. I, Canada's been focused on food for a long time, and a lot of their stock materials just sat in the fields, and nobody was doing much with it back in 2015, 2016. A lot more folks are doing stuff with it now. You got Canadian Rockies Hemp, you got Bass Fiber Technologies, you've got several other more industrial fiber materials type folks that are working on that aspect in Canada now. But so I found a company, uh, Greenfield Paper, started buying paper from them in 2013 had local printers tested out the paper on a variety of different machines, different offset machines, different digital machines to figure out what worked and what didn't because it's an uncoated natural fiber paper that doesn't work as well as a lot of standard papers that are created with toxic chemicals that are coated and absorb ink better. And so it took a while um, to figure out, but it was kind of a process of trial and error for a couple of years to figure out, you know, the best, route as far as printing on this paper and we figured it out well it, it prints well you, you got your business cards and we've been printing all kinds of really great stuff on hip paper for the last you know, seven eight years now nice yeah it's funny there's uh one of like the old hempster things i love talking about is uh the government the usda put out i think it was billet bulletin 404 whatever it was in like 1904 hemp herd for paper making. And it's kind of this whole research paper that they went into. Uh, and just to kind of highlight the benefits of using hemp herd for paper. But now it seems everyone's using the fiber. Like when I hear people speak about it um, and see products, it's typically the bass fiber that's used. Is that correct? Correct. And it was actually, I think it's the 1913, um, the ag thing that they put out every year. I've actually got the book. John Dvork sent it to me. Oh, cool. And and we actually, for Vote Hemp, they had me, I printed up this 70-some page chapter that Lister Dewey put out on the hemp herd and yada, yada, yada. And it's true that virtually all the paper now is pretty much done with hemp fiber with very little herd. And not that you can't utilize herd, like you were talking about uh, Ellie, and she's got some different pulp formulas where she utilizes more herd. And I think that there's ways to do that. It's all about pulping technology. And we've just kind of lost so much time for the last 80 years because of not using it. And if we would have been working on technology and having it subsidized and funded, let's say like the oil and gas industry or the timber industry and some of these other industries who got a big head start on us the last 80 years. We have to kind of go back and redevelop and figure out how to utilize this plant and maximize its potential, whether that's in the paper side of things or the plastics or composites or 
construction materials and so forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, it's been interesting to see kind of legacy paper making companies starting to get interested in the hemp space. Like I've seen Cottrell paper at, at a lot of different uh, of your events, whether at NOCO or Southern Hemp Expo. So it's cool to see that, like these people have been doing it for a long time. They're like, okay, hey, this is actually something that was used in the past. This is a, a, a material that's has these benefits to using this over traditional materials. So it's cool to see kind of the development um, of all of those different industries after, like you said, 80 years of just kind of darkness, really. Um, so let's get back. I actually went and, yeah, I went and met with Cottrell a couple years ago and toured their facility. And, and they've spent a lot of time and energy creating their hemp paper and they've, they've learned a lot. And I think that they're definitely ahead of the curve now, as far as, paper mills go. And Mohawk is another company, another New York company that's doing a lot with hemp paper and they'll be rolling out some new products and blends and so forth over the coming year. And there's a couple others that I've heard that are going to be coming online that have already contracted with some companies for materials. So it'll be interesting to see where things go the next couple of years, but I can say that it's promising seeing these bigger companies looking at the materials and you know, here we are, we, we need more infrastructure, we need more processing, we need more acreage. And I think we'll get there. It's just a matter of how long is it going to take mm -hmm. one to three to five to 10 years? Yeah, we'll get there, though. Yeah. Um, so to go back to the events, like, did you have experience hosting events when you were in the music industry? Or did you kind of just see a need for it and, and found some partners to, to make that happen, specifically for like NOCO and Southern Hemp Expo? I did a lot of events stuff in the music industry. I booked a lot of bands. I did a lot of club shows. I did festivals. I did corporate events. So I've had a, a good event background my whole life. I've been to lots of big trade shows. I've been to the NAM show. I've been to CES. I've been to big conferences and trade shows that helped me kind of set the stage for where we're at with NOCO and Southern Hemp Expo right now. And those, those shows are obviously much bigger than what we're doing. But at some point in time, hopefully we're going to be in the same space as where they're at. And we were headed that way going into 2020. We were going to have 400 plus exhibitors um, in the biggest show we'd ever done in the in, end of March in 2020. But unfortunately, we got derailed by a pandemic. Yeah, had to adjust <laughs> and adapt on the fly there. Uh, okay, so that's well, cool. We went straight to the straight to the cloud and and didn't miss a beat with that for a while but now we're back in person and the the industry looks different there's been some attrition the cbd bubble or c yeah the yeah, cbd bubble has popped a mm -hmm. bit and now we're going to get to the the full uses of the plant and more focus on fiber and grain cannabinoids are still there and they'll be there for you know till the end that's certainly a valuable part of the the industry, but that we're going to see more branches develop, which is going to be good for everybody. Yep. Yeah. It's something I've definitely um, seen just kind of at cannabis shows locally in New England specifically. And um, like folks shows that are focused on the recreational and medical side, because before uh, I was doing this and kind of jumped full, uh, full time into the industrial hemp side, I was working at a cannabis packaging company for like uh, three and a half years. So I was going to all these events in New England um, and there was a lot of kind of CBD in there as well. And so it's, it's been interesting to see even kind of starting like right before the pandemic, I was down at, uh, in Danville, Virginia at the industrial hemp expo or Indu industrial hemp summit. And it was already starting to be like, Hey, everyone, 
like there was a lot of farmers there, people who had got burned trying to grow CBD. Maybe they had been tobacco farmers and tried to get into CBD. It didn't work out so well. They were like, all right, so what else, what else is here? Like trying to learn about fiber and grain. So uh, it's been, it's been cool to see that transition to the more like real industrial side. Like, like you said, I'm all about medicinal aspects and recreational aspects of cannabis and cannabinoids. But um, I don't see CBD as industrial hemp. I see fiber and grain as, as industrial hemp. So, um, right. There's yeah. some argue. You'll, there's some good discussions to be had with that because there's people that will argue that side, and I get it too because I I got into this for fiber and grain. That was industrial hemp. CBD wasn't really part of the conversation in 2012 when we started Colorado Hemp Company, and it really wasn't part of the conversation until the end of 2014. And not that there wasn't high CBD strains out there that were being grown on in the cannabis market, but that wasn't the intention of legalizing industrial hemp. Our governor, who was a congressman at the time, Jared Polis, is the one who wrote the language for that 2014 farm bill that kind of got passed around. And McConnell takes some of the credit on that, but it really wasn't Mitch. It was Jared that, that did that. And But here we are. And now we're dealing with synthetic cannabinoids like D8 and D10 and HHC and this stuff. And you've got the people arguing that, hey, it's legal on the farm bill. It's a derivative. And, you know, it's just muddied the waters, unfortunately. And I don't want to say that that stuff should be illegal. I don't think that we should make anything illegal. Prohibition is what has led to this entire situation that we're at right now. And I know that we're going to get into what's the biggest obstacle, probably, type of question. And that comes down to prohibition and the FDA and um mm -hmm. yeah no, we I, wouldn't be in this position with all these synthetic cannabinoids if it wasn't if the fda would have done their job in 2018 with that farm bill mm -hmm. yeah um and i'm not too sure what's going on with the 2022 farm bill but i see a lot of states um in terms of like all these minor cannabinoids i see a lot of states just doing it them figuring out something else themselves whether they're saying hey we're banning delta eight and then i'll look at the i'll look at the wording and it's like they're only banning delta eight and i'm like have you guys not talked to anyone? Like there's a lot of other ones besides Delta eight out there um, that people sure will just use that instead of the Delta eight. And then places like Tennessee where they're like, Hey, let's just tax it. And you know, I, like you said, I don't think any aspect of the plant should be uh, prohibited. I, pro I am just a big proponent of testing and making sure you know where your products came from. Um, Cause I mean, even in Massachusetts, like the regular, the regulated cannabis industry, um, like the whole vape crisis that that was nationwide kind of vape crisis in, in 2019, there was there was licensed operators in Massachusetts putting stuff in their vape carts that they should not have been putting in, and it kind of got pointed to vitamin E acetate and and all these things. But there was there was a lot of things that people were putting in these vape carts that the testing just wasn't there. So I'm like very kind of over the over the top, I think, when it comes to just requiring testing and as a consumer, kind of knowing what your products are made out of. And that's the biggest gap that I see with with all those type of minor cannabinoid products is that, hey, you don't even know if there's even Delta 8 in there, like like or where it came from right. and, and all that stuff. So They're all over the market, and I 100% agree with you that if they're going to be in the marketplace, that there has to be a regulatory aspect. And consumers have the right to know what they're putting in their body. They need to be tested, they need to be compliant, and they need to be safe. Yep. Yeah, 100% agree with that. Um, so let's go back to, to NOCO real quick. This past one okay. was my first NOCO that I had ever been to. I had a great time. 
the location was incredible. Uh, the event, just the content that was there, the speakers there. It's really like, from my experience and the different events that I've been to, top tier in terms of like the people who are really making moves and, and making things happen in the industry. That's where they're all at. Everyone comes together for NOCO. Um, so it was cool for me to have been known about it. Like I had known about it for years and it never just, it never worked out where I was able to make the trip because uh, I'm in Massachusetts, but finally was able to make the trip, had a great time. Um, so I'm looking forward to continuing to attend NOCO events. Um, and then I got, had actually attended Southern Hemp Expo for the first time as well last year. And that one um, was in Raleigh. And so I had drove down. Uh, it really enjoyed, uh, again, similar thing. Like it's, it's the people who are really making moves in the industry, a bit smaller of an event than NOCO. Um, but I see this year it's going back to Nashville. So what kind of made you go to, to Raleigh and now going back to Nashville? Is there any kind of method to the madness there? Yeah. So we started in Nashville and in 2018, we were in Nashville, 2019, we went to Franklin because uh, the fairgrounds where we were at in Nashville, the buildings we were in got demoed and they've rebuilt new facilities out there. And we were going to go back in 2020. We had already had a contract, but then 2020 was COVID. And so we were trying to go back in 2021. And unfortunately, when we were looking to book the venue in January, it's like, well, the, we can't do anything until May as far as contracts go. It's like, well, I can't book the venue in May and, you know, just wait till then I, I need to find a venue. So I know that where I'm going. So we put an RFP out throughout the South. Raleigh came back and said, Hey, we'd love to host your event. Uh, we can get you into the convention center. And there's also a government grant you could apply for to help offset some of the cost of the venue. And we applied for it and we got it. And we're the first cannabis oriented company in North Carolina to get any sort of government funds for in anything like that. So that was cool. And we had a great time in Raleigh. Unfortunately, the Delta variant, you know, started to spike in July and it just kind of carried through and it was Labor Day weekend and the attendance was less than we would have liked, but we did have a lot of great speakers, a lot of great content, good exhibitors, good sponsors. And um, the, the venue itself and all the staff and everybody that was involved with the event from the Raleigh side were all great. I'm very thankful for that. But it's like, we're going to go back to Nashville this year. The, the fairgrounds wanted us back. They've got brand new facilities out there. I mean, they're not brand new, but they're more or less brand new because they got finished at the end of 2019 and they've had hardly anything operate out there. And, and they've just added a soccer stadium, which I think is the biggest soccer stadium in the United States now. Oh, wow. And that's going to be fully finished and open by, I think, the end of June. So the whole facility out there should be done, and it's brand new. It's really nice. And Nashville, Tennessee, they've got good, fair regulations in Tennessee. They've listened to their stakeholders. Uh, they haven't been overly burdensome as trying to um, snuff out the minor cannabinoids or um, – they have they don't have the marijuana industry like we do here in Colorado that's kind of gunning for some of the cannabinoid side of the business, which we have to fight not only the pharmaceutical industry and other special interests, we also have to fight some factions of the marijuana industry that would rather we not have any control of cannabinoids mm. or they don't want any THC content. So if they're if you've got some of these folks that are marketing, hey, Delta Nine, hemp derived THC, so you've got you know, 100 milligrams of cannabinoids, and there's 10 milligrams of, of Delta-9 in there. 
you know, here in Colorado and Oregon and some other places, they're like, no, no, that's that's adult use. But it's like, well, not really when you consider, you know, it's a 10 to one ratio and you're not going to get intoxicated from it. And so anyway, fortunately in Tennessee, they've they've done a good job as far as working with their legislature and having support on the government side of things and good stakeholders arguing for the right regulations in Tennessee. And we're excited to be back there. They've been supportive when we've been in Tennessee before. Um, yeah, it was just a, a good hemp scene out there. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. I had never been to Raleigh before. Uh, I went there last year and I had a great time there. I've never been to Nashville. I'm not sure if I'll be able to make it to the Southern Hemp Expo, but I would like to take a trip to Nashville uh, and kind of just do some traveling around Tennessee as well. So uh, I'll have to see if I can make that one happen. It's interesting to see kind of like the dynamic here with those with the minor cannabinoids and, and adult use medical markets, because like, I mean, even in Massachusetts, it's it's not super common. These minor cannabinoids are not super common because there's dispensaries everywhere. Like it's pretty easy to get the regulated cannabis. Um, yep. And so it's, it's interesting. Cause then it's like, all right, Tennessee is really welcoming the minor cannabinoids and I don't know where their like medical or recreational process is at, but it's like, Hey, let's, let's get access to like the rest of the, the state as well for all these different products and make sure that they're tested and, and all these things. So, um, it's, it's good to see like they have one to be aspect. regulated accordingly. And if they are intoxicating, then it needs to be a 21 plus product. And whether that ends up in the medical side or in some other um, regulatory framework, some other lane, that's yet to be determined. I think some states will figure it out themselves. I don't know when it'll happen on the federal level because, you know, cannabis is still not legal, you know, except for hemp. And according to the 2018 Farm Bill, as long as it's 0.3% or less Delta nine, then everything's fair game. So if you do have all these miners, you know, that's, that's still considered industrial hemp and I'm sorry, marijuana industry, that's just the way it is, <laughs> but they do have an argument on the intoxicating side of things. If people are converting CBD into Delta eight and you're putting out 25 milligram gummies or caramels or something, and you take one of those things and it does get you high, that, that should be a 21 plus product. Mm -hmm. I agree. And again, yeah. they need to be safe. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's just, it's so interesting to see like each state doing things differently. And, uh, <laughs> and just the fact that cannabis is still a schedule one drug, like we, I won't even, we won't go into that right now, but yeah, it's the most ridiculous thing. That's, uh, like one of the most ridiculous things that's going on in the country right now, I think. Um, but that's that's a whole different other topic in, in yeah. our long. There's a lot of ridiculous things going on in this country and in this yeah. world. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So for now, we just recently wrapped up NOCO 2022. But what are at, any plans for NOCO 2023? Is it staying at the Gaylord Resort? What's what's going on with that? At this point in time, we do not have the assigned contract per se as of this moment, but we've been going back and forth with the Gaylord, and that is the plan. It'll be the first part of April next year. So that NOCO 9 should be at the Gaylord beginning of April 2023. Nice. Cool. Yeah, I that's... We that's love the venue, and they were very hospitable. As you might know, we had to pivot. We were going to be at the Crown Plaza and we got notice a month before that we had to move our show because there was a government program that uh, we did not know about, but they said, sorry, you can't do your event here. So we had to change venues within a month of the show. And 
fortunately the Gaylord had space for us to move into and they were super accommodating and very helpful and awesome to work with and beautiful venue and folks had a great time. We had a really good event. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a beautiful venue. And that's awesome that they kind of stepped in and, and were able to, to accommodate everyone there in like really seamless transition of all the bookings. Cause I had already had my booking at the other hotel. Uh, it all was very smooth, a smooth transition to the new, new venue. So cool. A lot of stuff behind the scenes for sure. I can tell you that. Oh yeah. I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. So I know you mentioned like you kind of brought it up a little bit earlier, but what do you think in, in specifically in terms of industrial hemp fiber and grain is the biggest barrier or factor kind of holding progress back in any capacity? Well, I still think it's the FDA um, not regulating cannabinoids like they should have back after the 2018 farm bill because of their inaction on this particular part of the plant. It has chilled the marketplace as far as investment money, as far as revenue from the CBD side of the industry goes, there's a lot of people who've just taken a step back. And thus, we grew a lot of material, not only in 2018, but 2019 and 2020. And there's became this huge oversupply that all of a sudden farmers are like, well, heck, I can't make any money. The whole thing went bust. And so it scared off the farmers because, hey, we tried this. Hemp was going to be our savior. And now all of a sudden, it's just cost us the farm. And so to me, until the FDA does their job, they've cost this industry billions. And we would have seen a lot more infrastructure built out for both fiber and grain, um, not just IND Hemp in Montana, who's built a $20 million facility or whatever they've spent on it, which is we need like 20 of those things across the country. And when we have 20 of them across the country, then it's like, all right, now we can have farmers know they can plant 100 acres or 500 acres or 1,000 acres and they've got a place to take their product. And we've got these processors that can take the material and convert it into you know, additional refined materials that can then go into the auto manufacturing industry or the construction industry or the paper and packaging industry um, and other non-woven industries or textiles for that matter, which we've got some folks that are growing for that. And the textile market, while I think is a little bit small and boutique here in the United States, because most of that is moved out of the country, there's folks like Bear Fiber and Larry from Hemp Traders and people that are really committed to trying to make the, the fiber thing happen. And I think that it will on what scale, I'm not exactly sure and how long it'll take, but I applaud those that are trying to make that happen. And I do think that there's going to be a lot of opportunity in the in the food side of things with hemp protein, um, potential animal feed on the back side of that for material that can't make it into the human consumption um, side of things because there's a lot of you know 15 to 20 percent excess that isn't going to qualify for human consumption on that protein side of things, and that can all go into animal feed and whether it's pennies on the dollar, it's still another revenue stream that farmers can capitalize on. But that has yet to be approved by the FDA as well because they need more data. And here again, they're being guided by special interest. Maybe that's corn, maybe that's soy, other commodities are like, hey, let's put the brakes on this because we need more research. And I don't think we really need more research on a lot of what they're asking for. What we've got the FDA doing is they're playing wingman to the pharmaceutical industry for the cannabinoid side of things because the pharmaceutical industry really would like to control those. Um, 
and the brakes are on federal legalization because what what's going to happen? Are we going to reclassify it to maybe a schedule three? And the pharmaceutical industry is wanting their piece of the pie. Medi you know, the marijuana industry wants their piece. This is just another dietary supplement and food and beverage additive. As far as I'm concerned, mm. there's very little adverse reaction data that's out there. No, the hemp Roundtable just sent out something. I, I didn't even read it, but there's a brand new study that just came out talking about this, the safety aspects of CBD, which is very high, very little adverse reaction, very safe product, as long as it's created and manufactured and the, the right facilities and with the right practices and compliance and so forth. Yep. So the, the FDA to me, going back to the, they're the biggest holdup. And then that creates the bottlenecks for fiber and grain processing and farmers wanting to put this in the ground because if there's no need for them to put it in the ground, if they don't have any place to ship it right now. And we haven't had the funds to build out these facilities because the investment market's like, well, let's just wait and see what kind of happens with the FDA. Mm -hmm. So I blame it all on the FDA or not all of it, but the vast majority of it. Yeah, definitely a, a big part of it can, can kind of fall into, you know, their lack of movement on a lot of different things. And specifically with like the hemp seed aspect of it and for animal feed, hemp seed is what they call grass certified. It's generally regarded Correct. as safe for human consumption. So we can eat exactly. it. We can feed it to our kids. You see it in every grocery store, but we can't feed it to animals <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, I know. So we it, can feed sawdust and we could feed cyanide and we can feed fruit loops to our cows and our pigs and our chickens. Um, but we can't feed hemp seed or hemp meal. Yeah. It's like, okay. That's interesting. That's, what, what's your logic behind that? We need more research. Yeah, and it's okay. weird because they're calling for research for like lower detection levels of cannabinoids. It's like, hey, this is the the SOP to clean the seed so that there's no leaf material on it. There's no cannabinoids in the seed. This doesn't matter how low the detection level is. Doesn't doesn't make a difference. Um, so yeah, that's it's very right. frustrating. And if those things aren't even decarboxylated, it's like. Who who cares anyway? It's not like there's going to be any residual negative effect. All the that residual would just be another healthy attribute, just like vitamins and minerals. Yep. Yeah. And so again, with the states, it's interesting to see certain states kind of taking their own action, like um, like Montana, where they're saying, okay, now they pass it, so they can feed it to their horses and different uh, farm animals. Pennsylvania, I think Senator Judy Schwenk, I believe she's a senator is saying she's going to do something similar because obviously Crider Farms kind of went to the FDA and got a specific exemption just for them. I'm sure they spent a ton of money between that application process, consultants and whatever. So now they have eggs branded under Chickie's Creek that they were able to feed, you know, a, a nutritious meal that had like 30% hemp seeds in it or something like that. Uh, and they have all these metrics that their eggs have higher nutritious content in pretty much every like box that an egg is nutritious uh, in it's, higher than traditional eggs that were not fed hemp seed. So it's like, I think, I think the research is out there. Obviously there's not a ton. Um, one of the, one of the, my favorite things that I've seen recently in terms of research around hemp foods is the Kansas state university feeding just raw hemp plants to cattle and then measuring their like cortisol levels and, and stuff like that. So it's like, Hey, raw hemp is, is making our cows less stressed. It's in, it's increasing their uh, digestion and, um, allowing them to absorb nutrients better. So 
it's like, hey, let's get whatever needs to happen to get whatever research they need. Like, let's make that happen because, you know, people in the industry, it's like very clear what the result of that research is going to be uh, if it's all done correctly. So, yeah, FDA definitely uh, holding things up. So I appreciate your your uh, input on on that question. Um, and so to kind of transition from that, what do you see being so um, kind of entrenched in the industry on so many different levels? Like, what do you see as the segment or maybe the biggest opportunity um, that's going to grow the most in the next five to 10 years with all the kind of factors that are at play that you're aware of? I think that the construction industry is going to, materials for that are coming and we need to, to decarbonize building commercial and residential. And I think that that's going to, That'll be leading the way. And also composite material for auto manufacturing. That's another area. And then I think on the flip side of that, if we're dual cropping things, which is going to be where a lot of folks are going to go with this, and it's the, the grain side, and we're going to have the protein market and the animal feed market. So I think that those really work hand in hand. Um, you'll have non-wovens. Again, that's building materials, uh, composites paper and, and packaging and plastic. So all that can fit in there. And the, the plastics can even have other additional ways. But then the, the grain side, I, I think that there's a great opportunity for the protein market as we're looking at more plant-based alternatives and not all plant-based or non-meat alternatives are great alternatives. When you look at the fake meats that are put out there, Beyond Meat and Impossible Burger and all these lab-based Bill Gates meats, that's not good for the planet either. And they may talk about like, this is going to mitigate climate change, but they're still using GMO soy that's being sprayed with glyphosate that's getting into the waterways and that's destroying the planet. So um, if we can grow hemp organically and regeneratively, and it's going into our food system and it's going into our materials, commercial industrial side of things, that's where we're going to have the biggest impact. And I think that you'll see, with this new resurgence of climate awareness and environmental consciousness and uh, environmental social governance funds that are coming out and companies are having to clean up their act a bit, that they're gonna look at what are some better alternatives. We are for better alternatives because we're WAPA, um, <laughs> but you know, it's a better alternative. It, does this material perform as good as this petroleum material or this cotton-based material or this timber-based material? And what is its impact, you know, in the long term on the planet? And I think hemp, hemp wins in most cases. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree so, 100%. So I, I, I really believe that we're going to see tremendous growth in these areas. And it's still going to take a few years until, again, the FDA does their job. Once they do their job and that gets cleared up, I think that you'll see a lot more money coming into the market and a lot more folks jumping into it. And auto manufacturers, we've got a lot of auto manufacturers here in the United States, plenty in Tennessee, and we're going to be focusing a lot on that in our conference in, in Southern Hemp Expo. Um, because why not just grow the materials right here and it just goes straight to the, there's no shipping around the world. It's like, minimize your carbon footprint and we can do it by growing industrial hemp in various pockets around the United States to fill those supply chains. Yeah. I, I wish BMW talked more about the fact that they use hemp in some of their, like the I series panels. Cause it's like, they use it because it works better and there's, 
legitimate benefits to and reasons why they use it. Uh, and they're not, it's obviously not like a marketing gimmick because they don't really talk about it, <laughs> but I kind of wish they talked about it. Cause it's like that would kind of open up people's eyes. It's such a recognizable brand um, and respected brand that uh, I feel like that could kind of go a, a long way with companies like that starting to talk about it. But for, you know, I'm sure they have their reasons that uh, it's not super on brand, I guess, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah. I think that those things will change over the course of time here where mm. big companies will be more open to talking about the materials they're using if they're coming from hemp, which is cannabis. I think they're still kind of scared of the public perception because cannabis is still illegal on the federal level here in the United States and in most countries, but not all countries. Things are changing. Yep. Yeah. Slowly, but surely. No, I, I definitely agree with the, with the opportunity there too, specifically with like building in, in food products side of things. Um, and it's, it's cool to, it's cool to be able to watch cause the community's not that big. Like the, the people doing things in the United States and the hemp space, it's like, you can follow them all and kind of find them on social media and kind of track their progress and go to events and meet these people at, whether it be NOCO or Southern Hemp Expo. So it's cool to, to see like, uh, someone like, Cameron McIntosh, who is, you know, really scaling the industrial hemp uh, building market here in the United States, you know, getting that Ereasy spray application system. Um, now it's going to be made and manufactured in the United States. And he's training different contractors and uh, what Hempitecture is doing with building a facility in Idaho. And um, it's, you know, it's really cool to be able to see all of these things and talk to those people. And um, it's, it'll be cool to look back at 10 years and kind of see where it's at then. Um, but I mean, even in Massachusetts, there's a couple, uh, hempcrete structures here and a really nice one on the Cape. And it's, and it, it isn't, there's not a lot of like competition. There's people still working together because everyone kind of needs to work together to kind of get to the next stage of the industry. So there's a lot of cooperation. Um, it's not like this ruthless from my perspective, at least it's not this like ruthless industry that, um, is kind of cutthroat. It's like, Hey, we all have to work together. Um, to, you know, get this to the place where there's enough for us to compete for, because <laughs> it's still very right. much like at the, the beginning stages. It is the beginning stages. And, you know, Cameron's done a great job. Maddie and Tommy have done a great job and there's others out there. And, and at this point, nobody is like the, the infighting on the industrial side isn't there yet because it's so small and the more the merrier. And it was that way in the beginning with, CBD and everything. And then all of a sudden things went sideways and there was a lot of infighting because everybody was fighting for, and still it, there's so much market that's untapped in that side of things. And people just lost sight of where we need to go and how we need to get there. And cooperation is always the, the way to go. We don't need to be infighting about this. There's plenty of opportunity. Those with the best ideas are going to rise to the top. If you want to cut corners, well, that's probably eventually going to come back and get you. Yeah. Yeah. That won't last for, for too long in this industry. Um, yeah. Okay. So I'm curious to, to learn what might be on your radar that, you know, you see as really exciting development or um, promising development that's not really getting much attention in kind of like the hemp community or like nationwide um, in terms of the potential of, whatever it might be. Like, is there anything out there that you kind of have your eyes on? Well, I think there's a, there's a couple, I think hemp for energy is one thing. There's 
some folks that are working on gasification processes, and that's taking waste material and like trash and so forth, and also incorporating hemp waste into it for part of their recipe that can in turn power cities. And so these closed loop gasification systems taking garbage and waste, including hemp, um, that's that's one thing. And there's several folks working on those technologies. So that's exciting. And then uh, there's a organization out there called the Well Done Foundation. And it's also, um, they work in conjunction with Offset Energy Partners. And what they're doing is there's like 3,000 orphan wells in the United States, oil and gas wells, that leak methane. And so they're going through and they're shooting down into these wells to seal them up. They're these formulations that are using like biochar and hemp herd to help seal these orphan wells that have been abandoned that continue to leak. And so you seal them up with hemp herd and biochar and these materials, and then they start to sequester carbon instead of leaking methane. Mm. And it's a carbon credit type thing for the oil and gas industry. So that is another thing. And I learned about that at IND Hemp last summer. They had a gathering out there and a guy from Well Done Foundation spoke and it was like, wow, this is really cool. This is another use and this is an important use of industrial hemp that's going to help clean up our planet and help clean up the oil and gas industry that's polluted our planet. And so oil and gas, I think, will become a larger customer of the hemp industry and that you'll see us working together. So while it's easy to hate on the fossil fuel industry, it's here and we need to transition. And how long is the transition going to take? I mean, we just can't turn off oil and gas. We know that. Mm -hmm. It still powers our world, but it doesn't power it as much as it used to because we're tapping into the sun. We're tapping into wind. We're tapping into materials that we grow from the earth rather than extract from the earth. So to me, that's exciting. And I, yeah, so that, those are the two things that I see this gasification using hemp as energy and helping to seal up these orphan wells. That's awesome. Yeah. I hadn't heard of uh, either of those two things. So that's cool. I'm going to, I'm going to do some digging on those. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like you, you, you think, okay, well, you know, it can, it can do all this good while we grow it and sequester carbon and kind of regenerate soil. Uh, but then you don't think of kind of those other aspects where it's like, Hey, this is something that's just sitting there. It's polluting. And we can now use hemp again to kind of fix, fix that. So that's, that's cool. Right here. Let's clog up this thing that's leaking methane into to the atmosphere and now it'll actually start sequestering some carbon mm -hmm. yeah after we seal it up yeah, yeah that, so that that was an exciting thing it's like wow that is super cool that's awesome yeah i appreciate you sharing that with me and everyone listening um that's kind of one of the one of the bigger things too with with the building side of things is that okay not only is the is the hemp sequestering carbon as it's growing but because of the nature of what hempcrete is hemp lime all this lime as it's curing, it's continuously sequestering carbon. That's I've done a couple just like pop-ups. So I'll go into the park with a table with a bunch of industrial hemp materials and kind of just cold call people walking by and tell them about industrial hemp if they're interested in stopping and listening about it. Um, and the building materials is typically one of the things that people find most interesting. Um, and obviously when you say hempcrete, there's an immediate association with concrete. So you got to kind of maybe say hemp lime or address that first, but, um, 
there's just so many like very easily there's like really easy talking points that you can just kind of rattle off real quick that people will be like wow like what is going on why are we not using these materials so um right to add that once i do some research on the well done foundation to add that to kind of the mix of hey this is what hemp herd can also do looks like wood chips but there's right. kind of a lot of different uh things that it's that it's unique about the the material itself nice so you added something to my uh arsenal there of of acquiring or attracting more hempsters into into the space well, there we go yeah well you're doing a great job keep doing what you're doing there needs to be millions of us out there preaching the good word about the opportunities for this plant and this industry mm -hmm. and how it can positively impact so many other industries yep yeah absolutely i appreciate everything that you shared as well because the, the goal here is really to just kind of spread awareness about these things and um show people all the different possibilities and i think you covered a lot of wide-ranging things that people can get into like if you have experience doing x in a different industry there's probably a space for you to do it in the industrial hemp market where it's there's not a lot of people doing it yet so there's opportunity inherently there like you've seen with all the different businesses that you've started out of necessity just like oh there's no one doing this yet like all right let's do it and then kind of growing all of those things and um so I appreciate everything that you shared and I really appreciate your time. Is there anything kind of final statements that, that you'd like to end with? Um, just if, if you're in the industry, it's easy to get discouraged and just dream big, keep following your passion and, and, and following your desire to, to help lead in this industry. We need leaders and, you know, ignore the haters, ignore the naysayers because those that lead and those that dream big are the ones that are going to succeed in the end. So keep dreaming. Yep. Love that. Awesome. So I'll put, um, links to everything that is, we all for better, we are for better alternatives from the expos to the products and services. I'll link all that in the, um, in the description of this video and make a, um, kind of a outro, just providing some additional details and resources about you and all the different uh, products and services and events that that you have uh, under the WAFBA umbrella. Um, but again, yeah, Morris, really appreciate your time. I really enjoyed our conversation. I look forward to seeing you in person again soon uh, at one of your events in the near future. Sounds good, Matt. Take care. Yep. Thanks. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Morris Beagle and were able to learn something and get some value from listening. If you want to follow along with anything that Morris is doing under the We Are For Better Alternatives family of brands, I've included links to everything in the description of this video. Whether it be a hemp wood guitar or amplifier, hemp business cards or promotional materials, news from the Let's Talk Hemp platform, or just attending a hemp expo in your area in the near future, one of Morris's companies has definitely got you covered. If you want to support this show, please subscribe on whatever platform that you're consuming the content on. Leave me a review or a comment with any feedback that you might have or specific topics or guests that you would like me to cover or try to get on the show. I appreciate you for listening and I'll see you next week.